You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for May 24th, 2020, the seventh Sunday of Easter. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. Among the books that I've read to my otherwise TV-hungry child over the last several weeks is The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. This book is pretty advanced for little children, even though it opens with a story about the narrator when he is the same age as my child, six. Like the Velveteen Rabbit or Alice in Wonderland, The Little Prince appears to be written for children, but ultimately its lessons are for grown-ups. The narrator begins with a story about when he draws a picture of a boa constrictor who swallowed an elephant. Before he shows his drawing to the grown-ups, he tells them not to be afraid. But when they see it, they say to him, why would we be afraid of a hat? For all they can see in his drawing of a brown snake with an elephant inside is the shape of a hat. So he gives up any hope of a life as a painter then and there. He says, grown-ups never understand anything by themselves, and it is tiresome for children to be always and forever explaining things to them. He spends the ensuing years wary of grown-ups. But from time to time, he would show them, he would show an adult the drawing, which he always kept as a test of their true understanding. If the grown-up would say, that is a hat, then he would know never to talk talk to that person about boa constrictors or primeval forests or stars. He says, I would bring myself down to his level I would talk to him about bridge and golf and politics and neckties, and the grown-up would be greatly pleased to have met such a sensible man. The story flashes ahead with the narrator, now an aviator, having crash-landed his plane thousands of miles from civilization in the Sahara Desert, where he first meets the little prince. While wondering how in the world he's going to fix his aircraft before his food and water run out, A voice behind him says, if you please, draw me a sheep. At first, the aviator tries to find out why this small, extraordinary person gives no hint of being lost or afraid in this vast desert, nor a clue as to what he is doing there. But the little prince presses the aviator to draw him the sheep, as if it's as urgent a matter as fixing his plane. So the pilot draws a sheep. The first sheep he draws is rejected for looking too old, and drawings two and three are not quite right either. So finally, feeling pressed to return to his own urgent situation, the aviator draws a picture of a box for the prince. He says, this is only his box. The sheep you asked for is inside. And to the aviator's amazement, the little prince loves it. That is exactly the way I wanted it, he says. And thus their adventure among the stars and planets begins. Much of the timeless wisdom of this book can be summed up in one of the author's most famous lines that comes a few chapters later. It is only with the heart one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. So it is with our extraordinary claims about Jesus on this feast we are celebrating today, the Ascension, 
which officially occurred this past Thursday because it is always 40 days after Easter. Ascension is a bridge event between Easter and Pentecost. Together, this triad of feasts is a seamless story of Jesus being raised from the dead and appearing to his disciples until he appears no more because he has taken up from them. This is the ascension we mark today. And then next week, we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit on the Feast of the Pentecost. The accounts of these events in scripture are vividly told with cinematic details, like clouds taking Jesus up and out of sight, and next week, tongues of fire atop each disciple's head. An ancient icon of the ascension depicts the scene of the disciples literally looking up into the sky and Jesus' feet dangle from a cloud. The two figures in white say to them in our Acts reading, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? As if to say, it is only with the heart one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Just as the little prince operated with the full faculty of his imagination to readily spot an elephant inside a boa constrictor beyond those lines drawn upon a page, or that sheep inside the box that the aviator's drawings represented, we too are invited to see more in the ascension story than what we read in ink on the pages of scripture. Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection in ways they cannot recognize with the naked eye, but their hearts burn within them when they finally do realize he is alive and fully present with them. It is only with the heart one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. When Jesus is taken up out of their sight, the disciples immediately, they immediate, they respond with joy and then courage. Jesus has been taken up, as it were, into their consciousness, and their imaginations catch fire when the Holy Spirit comes. As Jesus promised, they would be clothed with power from on high. Something real happened at all these events, at the resurrection, in Jesus' strange and mystical appearances in the 40 days after, at the ascension, and at the upcoming Pentecost. Something that occurred on a much deeper level than anything that could have been caught on camera or really put into words. As the theologian Walter Wink has said, the ascension took place in the imaginal realm at the substratum of human existence where the most fundamental changes in consciousness take place. It is tempting for us to dismiss the imagination as something for children that we all outgrow. We call the imaginal realm the world of fiction and make-believe. But when we consider the ideas behind the advancement that have changed the world as we know it, ideas in medicine, transportation, communications, design, space exploration, we can think again before we dismiss the imaginal realm so easily. On the spiritual plane especially, all the magic happens in the imaginal realm. Our hearts burn within us as Jesus is revealed to us in ways we don't expect but cannot deny, through wonder or love or suffering or an encounter with someone. Transformation of our consciousness happens inside of us 
not up there anywhere or out there in the stratosphere. William Blake said, imagination is the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Ghost himself. For Blake, imagination was the central faculty of God and man. In it, the two become indistinguishable. The most important things that change our lives begin with an experience, whether physical or psychological. And an experience that changes us is one that awakens us to our imaginal realm, to a higher level of consciousness, where the eye of our heart can see divine mystery interacting with the ordinary world, like a fragrance filling the room. It's one thing to see a field of daffodils. It's another to be utterly changed by it. As William Wordsworth wrote in his famous poem, I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. What flashes upon our inward eye, this is the imaginal realm, the capacity to remember and to be filled and to recognize what wealth and experience really brings, even if it was but a fleeting glimpse of the transcendent or of hope or of truth. A glimpse can be enough to start us down a path of transformation at the imaginal level, that real and spiritually charged realm of human existence. Ignatius of Loyola, of Loyola taught that the imaginative contemplation practice is one of the most powerful ways God meets us. Gaining eyes to see the holy in the ordinary begins there. We say, our Father who art in heaven. But where art heaven? Surely God is not out there somewhere that we cannot see. Heaven is wherever God is, and God is all around us. As the Apostle Paul says to the Athenians later in Acts, God is not far from each one of us. In God we live and move and have our being. This is central to Jesus' teaching. One of the things that gets Jesus killed, the main thing maybe, is the claim he makes that the kingdom of God is within us. This is at the heart of his gospel message, and it touched both a religious and political nerve in his day. Jesus was vilified and put on trial and finally killed for exposing the false barriers that would separate us from God, barriers that were reinforced by the religious power structure of his day. His mission, his teaching, was always about inviting people to discover their inner eye, their imaginal realm, their heart-centered consciousness, where the kingdom of God could be felt and recognized and experienced. Tribal exclusionary religion from ancient to modern times has too often served to separate people from God rather than unite them with God. But Jesus embodied the reality that there is no chasm between the divine and human spheres, and he made it so for each one of us. These two worlds are engaged in a continuous, animated relationship of life-giving creative force 
that we do not recognize with our naked eye. Some people live their whole lives cut off from their imaginal realm of existence. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers, to quote Wordsworth again. But Jesus disabused his world, and ours too if we let him, of the commonly held image of a remote God who requires us to earn enough points before we can meet him when we die in some geographical heaven up there somewhere in the afterlife. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly in these bodies, on this earth, in the here and now, and in all the ways hereafter that we mortals can only imagine during our earthly lives. Jesus revealed that God is quintessentially relational and creative, giving and working in us and in the world all the time. The heavens and hells we find ourselves in are the places where we either align ourselves with the God of love and life, and in these days, especially, the God of hope and strength, or where we turn away from God through choices that give up hope or destroy life or hurt or exclude. Yet God is always and everywhere very near to us. Men and women of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Don't look up, look within, where the power of heaven meets us in the middle of our ordinary, sometimes difficult lives here on earth and embodies us with power to endure, the power to transform our perspective and the power to love. In the middle of their despairing and tumultuous world, for the disciples, the events after the horrifying death of Jesus were unprecedented. By now, we can all agree that we are living through a global crisis that for us is unprecedented. The disciples didn't know where their world was going. We don't know where our world is going. They needed heaven down here and right now, and so do we. Let's not stand gazing up there, out there, looking for God, but look for the power of God within us, just where Jesus says it was all along. Imagine that. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.